God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. So thankful to have the privilege of being here to this afternoon. I am um, overwhelmed with gratitude for the opportunity to be a part of this very special day. And uh, my wife and I have come today. I've got my wife, Ashley, over here on the second row. We have, uh, we have come today to not only encourage you, but to participate with you in this very special Heart to Give Sunday. I, uh, many years ago, the Lord convicted my heart very deeply about this truth. And the truth is, is that we all minister in the context of a harvest field. Jesus uses that illustration in John chapter four and many other passages. And he talks about the ministry of the harvest field and how within the harvest field, there are laborers within that harvest field. And one of the things I've come to be convinced of when I was pastoring in Virginia and then for the, these last eight years on Staten Island is that the field is far too vast for any one harvester. The field is far too vast for any one church of harvesters. The field is far too large for any one of us to take the responsibility or the credit. And so God birthed in my heart a passion and a belief that if we are going to love the harvest, then it is imperative that we love other harvesters. And if we as a church family are gonna love the harvest, then it means we have to love other church families that are harvesting in this field with us. And so hear me when I say this, dear friends, from the depths of my heart and the, the intimacy that I have with God in my own time with him, I love Kuhau. I am so grateful to be partnering together with you in this harvest field. Staten Island desperately needs Jesus. And it is going to take so many churches and so many uh, members of churches and believers to make a difference. And I believe that you don't really love the harvest until you love other harvesters working with us in the field. So thank you, Pastor Rolando. Thank you to the leadership of this dear church. You all were a blessing to us again several years ago. We were looking to start a, another church in, uh, in, in our community, and we wanted to learn about what, what it took to, to operate within a school. And at that time, you were down in St. George, right? St. George? And uh, you invited us down. So myself and many members of our team, we just came and worshiped with you one Sunday down at the school, and we learned so much, and we were so incredibly blessed. Things that you taught us in that season that we have used now uh, to a church that we launched. In, in our intelligence, we launched it right before COVID, like March the 1st, 2020. It was brilliant, wasn't it? The, the, the recipe for success, amen? But I gotta be honest, that church is still functioning. They had over 50 in attendance this morning, praise God. And many of the things that we gleaned from you years ago have been put into practice and still practicing. So this relationship between Pastor John and Pastor Orlando, uh, Salem and Kuhau is a God-honoring friendship and what a privilege it is to be a part of it. If you have a Bible, take it and turn with me to the Old Testament. Make your way back to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. If you don't have a Bible with you, the words will be on the screens. I've given them a heads up on what I'm preaching on, so we have some notes you'll be able to follow along there. But one of the things I know when I'm, I'm, I'm observing what I'm seeing today, hearing from your pastor, hearing from your testimonies, hearing this incredible worship team that's leading us in music uh, today, and that is that God has been good to you, amen? Our God has been very, very, very good to us. And specifically, he's been good to you. You know why? Because God has given us a purpose. He's given us a mission. In addition, God has given us faithful leaders, especially for you these last 10 years, to lead you to facilitate the mission that he's given you. And now God has given you a vision. A vision. You know the old uh, proverb, without the vision, the people, or where there is no vision, the people will perish. And God's given you a vision to have a house of your own, a place where you can plant and establish yourself in order to make disciples and advance the kingdom of God. So the foundation of the message I have for you is I want to show you how the goodness of God toward you is actually in line with all God has been doing throughout creation. When God created the world, he established it. He made people in his own image, Adam and Eve, and, and in that process, he showed them his love and he gave them his heart. Uh, but yet, as you know, the story, they turned away from God. They went their own way and they chose to sin instead of honoring and following the Lord. And from the time of Adam and Eve's sin, God has been executing this vast rescue plan, this incredible plan of redemption to call, to redeem and to restore a people to himself. In the Old Testament, it was born out through that little nation we know as Israel, the Jews, the Hebrews, they were God's chosen people. 
And these people had nothing to their credit. They had no land at that time. They had no resources. They had no power. They had no military. There was nothing they had except they had a God who claimed them as his people. That's all they had. Over the course of time, they were enslaved in Egypt for many, many years. God sent Moses, a deliverer, to come and lead them out of Egypt But even after leaving Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness, partly because of their own disobedience and their own grumbling and their own complaining and their own lack of faith. But they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years before going into the promised land that God had given to them. Now, in the beginning, in the earlier stages of this wandering, God's chosen people were given the gift of a tabernacle, a place, this tent, this tent of meeting. Moses had to raise money in order to build this tent of meeting so that that was the place where the people would come and connect with God. That's where the Ark of the Covenant would reside. That's where they would meet with God and offer sacrifices. And the amazing story you should read about in the book of Exodus is where Moses called for the people to give. And then Moses got to do something that every pastor would love to do. He got to stand before the people and say to them, stop bringing money, we have too much. How's that for a heart to give Sunday, pastor? We've got more than we need, yet stop it. You there with the envelope, go home. Put it back in your account because we don't need it. God overwhelmed. Remember, these are people that have nothing. They have nothing. They have, in fact, if I spend too much time here, I'll never get to the end, but follow me here. The only possessions the Israelites had at that moment was the stuff that Pharaoh's men gave to them to beg them to go away because they were so scared of their God. And so what they gave to God to build the tabernacle were the very things that God had given to them from the Egyptians when he showed his power to the Egyptians. So they just gave it back to God, realizing it came from him. The tabernacle was a special place, the tent of meeting. So in all of their wanderings, the tabernacle was the place that they would meet with God to offer sacrifices and worship. After their wanderings were over and they entered the promised land and they'd taken up residence in the promised land, God put it on the heart of King David that a permanent structure called the temple must be built for the people of God to meet with God. David was concerned because he was living in a palace while the presence of God and the ark of God was still residing in a tent. Now he wasn't able to build it. God said that David as a man of war because his hands were stained with blood would not be the one to build the temple. His son, King Solomon would be the one to construct it. But God gave David the blessing of being able to raise the money so that he could give that to his son Solomon who would then take the money, take the resources, take the gold and silver and then he would construct the temple according to God's direction. So David had a heart to give Sunday. And we're going to read about it in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. How did it go? The title of the message I have for you today is what does it look like to be a people with a heart to give? And 1 Chronicles 29 will break this down to us. So let's take a look at verses 1 through 17 of 1 Chronicles 29. At Salem Church, when we read our primary text, I respectfully ask that our people stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. So if you're physically able, I know not everybody is, but if you're physically able, would you stand out of respect for the reading of the word of God? The scripture says, it's on the screen, and David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone has chosen, a God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, the wood for the things of wood, beside great quantities of onyx stone for setting, antonomy and colored stones and all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in verse three, in addition to all of that, I provide for the holy house. I have a treasure of my own gold and silver and because of my devotion to my house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, the gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver. Who then, he asked, will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? 
Then the leaders of fathers' houses made their freewill offerings, as did the leaders of the tribes and the commanders of the thousands and hundreds and the officers of the king's work. And they gave for service of the house of God 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them in the treasury of the house of the Lord and in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the, Lord, the people rejoiced because they had given willingly for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Verse 10, therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and all that is in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own we have given you for we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow. There is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know my God that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Would you pray with me? Father in Jesus name, thank you for this amazing testimony, several thousand years old of a people with a heart to give. As you've laid upon the hearts of your leaders here at Kuhau, God, I believe that this church has a heart to give. So would our time in the word today be fruitful? Would it be productive? Would it bear fruit to your glory to advance your kingdom? I pray that you'd meet every single need and bring us to a place of total surrender. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. You can have a seat, thank you. In the time I have with you, I want to show you three essential elements of a people with a heart to give that's born out of this text we just read a moment ago. I'm gonna lift for you three essential elements of a people with a heart to give. The first I see in verses one through seven is that the leaders give first. Did you see that a moment ago when you read it? Did you see it first and foremost that King David stepped up and said, here's the situation. We're all living in houses. The ark of God is living in a tent. This is unacceptable and therefore we need to give. We need to give so that my son, King Solomon, can construct a temple that is appropriate. So King David up front decided what he would give and then the other leaders followed suit. Look at verse number two, the second part there, or the first part. David said, for I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. The king stepped up and said, I'll go first. And then in verse five we see, he asked a question to the people, the leaders and to the people. Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself to the, today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders, the thousands, the hundreds, the officers over the king's work. You know, it's interesting. Everybody wants to be a leader whenever there's a lot of honor in it, don't we? Everybody likes it. I've got to be honest. I've been in ministry since I was 15 years old. God called me as a young teenager to preach the gospel. And so I started immediately. So I would play high school football on Friday night with the high school team. And then Saturday morning, I was usually speaking at some Baptist men's breakfast somewhere. That was my, that was my ministry. That was my life. And I've got to be truthful with you and say that there are many blessings that have come with being in ministry. The ministry in many ways have been very good to me. There have been opportunities I've had to go and to sit with very influential people, governors and, and mayors and Congress people. I've had the chance to be uh, in, in very powerful places with powerful people, not because I deserved it, but because the ministry has opened doors of opportunity like that for me. I've had the privilege of traveling the world. I've been to many continents around the globe and met people in many different places. I've eaten some incredible food. Can I get a witness? Really good food in very many different places. I've also had some challenging foods too, but usually, usually good. 
I've been given very generous gifts over the course of my life and a lot of it associated with the opportunity to, 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 as I've been ministering, leadership sometimes comes with great honor. And those are the things that we kind of want. We see people being honored for their positions of authority and power. We see people being respected for the positions of leadership. Uh, Many pastors I know like being called pastor. They like the title. They like the respect. They like the authority to be able to say, everyone stand and everyone stands. Everyone sit and everybody sits. It may look very fancy and exciting, but I can also assure you the ministry has its hard times too. It has its burdens as well. I would imagine that every pastor of every church in the world would say these last three years have been uniquely challenging in all the things that we've done. Every one of us in leadership have had to have hard days where you've looked into the face of the grieving mother whose son has just killed himself. And you are the one accepting her fury and anger at God and demanding answers as to why. You might say, well, I don't want that part of ministry. I want the other, but they go together. It might be fun to be a leader in the context of a church, to have some authority and influence, have some respect by those around you. But if you're going to take the mantle of leadership, and I believe your leaders here know this. I know the leaders at Salem know this too. If you're going to take the leadership responsibility seriously, whenever we stand up and we call the church to be generous, guess what God says to the leaders? You go first. You go first. Not only first in order, but first in sacrifice. God has said, you go first. Nobody wants to write the last check to a dying organization. You want to know that if I really dig deep, if I really sacrifice, if I really go big, if I really give generously, that I'm not doing it alone. And Pastor Rolando has assured me in our conversations that your leadership, he and those leaders, they're going first and they are giving God their best. Is there are three essential elements of a people with a heart to give. The first is the leaders go first. Number two, Let me show you how the people, they join in in sacrificial giving. They join in in sacrificial giving. Verses eight and nine describe this in a powerful way. See, after the leaders had given, King David gave the citizens the opportunity to contribute to the construction of the temple that they and their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren would enjoy. And they gave very, very generously. Look at verse number nine. The scripture says, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly For with a whole heart, they had offered freely to the Lord. It's a reflection of what Jesus talked about in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your, say it with me, heart will be also. Treasure is leading our heart into what's most important. I'll talk about that more in just a moment. Now, time won't permit me to get into extreme detail concerning the gifts. You say, well, pastor, what is a talent? And how many onyxes of gold, I mean, onyxes of stones can be given? And what's the modern day dollar figure? I could go into all of that, but it would take far too much time. So let me summarize everything they give by telling you this. Both the leaders and the people, David, as well as his governors, they gave substantially, substantially to invest themselves into the building of the temple. Let me say it another way. They went all in. All in. Let me tell you what I mean by all in. I I don't know if you guys know this about my story. Uh, Most of you maybe don't. But five years ago, I weighed about 365 to 370 pounds. I was a big boy, big country boy from the South, okay? And then over the course of time, God convicted me about that. And I started this diet called keto. Anybody heard of the keto diet? Keto diet. All right, you know what keto diet is. It's no carbs. So you stay away from the sweets and the breads and the pasta. That was the hard one, the pasta for me. Stay away from all the carbohydrates. And instead, you got to enjoy meat, right? You got to enjoy fresh vegetables. You got to enjoy all kinds of, uh, of fatty stuff, butters and avocados and things like that. So let me just say, for the last four years of my life, when I started that diet, without fail, about every morning, I have had the same breakfast. It's bacon, eggs, and avocado. That's it. My wife's here. She can verify. Every single morning. We burn through some bacon in the well-born house. All right. We go through it. We got a big bacon budget. It's all right. We got it figured out. But bacon, it occurred to me one time when I was looking at my breakfast, it occurred to me as I was looking down at my bacon and my eggs and my avocado, not so much the avocado, but specifically the bacon and eggs began to speak to me. And here's what it said. It said that both the chicken and the pig had something to do with my breakfast. You follow? Both the chicken and the pig, they were involved in giving me breakfast. But here's the thing. They were involved at different levels, weren't they? 
the chicken made a contribution for my breakfast. Y'all, the pig went all in. All in. All in. I want you to know, dear friends, I want you to know that your leadership is all in and they invite you to go all in as well. All in is about sacrifice. It's about sacrifice. And David went all in. The leaders went all in. And out of response of God's goodness to the people and also their following of their leadership, they also decided to go all in to give to the Lord. David had been doing this for a while, though. There was a series earlier in his journey where David had made a mistake. And God said, I want you to, I want you to give us an offering, an offering uh, to atone for the mistake you made. So David said, okay, I'll do it, Lord. And so David went to a spot, found the location where he needed to build a, 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 an altar and then offer a sacrifice. Well, we got to that spot and, and the, the man who owned the spot, the man who owned the land and owned the livestock on the land recognized David as this great king and this great military leader. And the man said to David, oh, you need my spot. You need this spot, this threshing floor. You need it. I'll give it to you. And in fact, I'll give you the, the oxen that you need to sacrifice on this spot. Now, if David had been like pastor's like me or Pastor Rolando would have said, hey, God provided a free sacrifice. You want to give it, I'll take it. Amen. But you know what David said to him? Look at the, the passage on the screens there, 2 Samuel 24, 24. The king, David, said to Arana, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. Why? Check this out. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. He refused to pretend in worship. He refused to come in and drop an offering on God that somebody else had given to him. He refused to offer something that did not require sacrifice. So what does it say? So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David refused to take something from someone and then offer it to God as his own, his fellow national leaders and the citizens took the same approach. You hear people say them like this. Well, I tell you what, if you would just avoid one Starbucks coffee a week and just give that to the Lord this next year. Now, Starbucks is not cheap. I understand that part. But listen, you will not have an eternal impact on the kingdom of God with one Starbucks a week. I'm telling you, dear friends, don't offer to the Lord something that costs you nothing. As you're praying through, and I love the prayer guide that was given to you here. As you're praying through, what do I do? What do I offer? Lord, what are you saying to me? I love what my sister said a moment ago. I love the testimony of the pastor's daughter as well. Because what you're asking is, Lord, don't let me fall prey to the trap of giving something that's easy. One of my greatest and favorite authors of all time is C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis writes, he goes, the only safe standard of generosity is to give more than you can stand because any less than that becomes easy and it's not a sacrifice. Dear friends, God has placed it upon your leaders here at Kuhau that we should raise $50,000. That's a lot of money. And I don't mind telling you that it's more than I can give. I don't have it with me. I don't have it on me. I don't have it anywhere actually. If I wrote you that check, it would bounce. And then you'd pay the overdraft fees and everything else. I don't have it. Some of you might. Somebody in this room might have the ability to do that and you need to pray about whether or not the Lord would have you to do it. But I don't have it. Most likely, I suspect that it's more than most of us could give on our own. But let me tell you how it's achievable. It's achievable like it was achievable to Moses when he was raising money for the tabernacle. It's achievable the same way it's achievable to David as he raised money for the temple. It's achievable if each of us commit ourselves to sacrificial giving and resolve not to give something to God that cost us nothing. If we do that collectively, then this number is far too low. There's three elements to a people with a heart to give. The first is the leaders give first. The second is the people join in sacrificial giving. And then number three, the glory and the worship, they go to God. The glory and the worship, they go to God. Do you notice nobody does a victory lap here? We were reading a moment ago. Did you notice that? That as people gave and the money came in and they had the resource they need and Solomon was all set up to build this amazing temple. Nobody ran around and said, hey, look what we did. Not a single person. Nobody walked around with their chest stuck out, peacocking about how awesome they were or how generous their church was or how incredible their family was. Nobody walked around going, well, we gave 10 onyx stones. They only gave six. So yeah, look at us. <laughs> Nobody. 
didn't happen. What happened whenever the money came in is David prayed and he worshiped and he celebrated. Let's, let's look at a section of it again. Chapter 29, verses 16 and 17. The scripture says, oh Lord, our God, this is David's celebration. This is David's prayer of praise. Oh Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name. Read this out loud with the next four words, right after name, the next four words, all together, one, two, three, ready? Comes from your hand. Do you see that? And is, all together in these next three words, all together, one, two, three, all your own. Where'd it come from? It came from God. They looked back at the Lord and said, you gave us the capacity to be generous. And so if anybody's getting glory over this gift that we're giving, it's certainly not us, it's you. You have been so good to us. You have provided for us. And by the way, yes, not only have you provided for us, but in addition, if through giving, we have a need in the future, you will meet that too. You're going to come through. You're going to come through. You're going to come through because it all belongs to you anyway. He writes, I know, my God, that you test the heart and you have pleasures in uprightness and uprightness of my heart. I have freely offered these things. And now, David said, I have seen your people who are present here offering two words, freely. And the second one is, say it with me, joyously to you. It's not a burden. It's not a burden. I know at my church... If I were to announce, hey, we're, we're going to focus on sacrificial giving next month. They might not say it out loud, but some would have this, oh, no. Oh, no. Here we go. Some of them might plan a month-long vacation just to coincide with that particular month. But I'm telling you, it's not a burden to give. It's a joy. It's a joy. Let me show it this way. There's really two ways that you can give. Everybody hold your hands out. Would you would just put your Bible in your lap if you got it? Let go of your sweetheart's hand for just a moment. Just put both hands out in front of you and leave them open. Okay, open. Look at your open hands. Everybody got eyes on them? Okay. Let me tell you the beauty of living generously with an open hand. Here's the opportunity God gives to you with those open hands. You ready? God, with those open hands, is able to spur you to give, right? Out of an open hand, you can give. But it's not just that. With an open hand, you can also receive. Do you see? Now close them. Everybody make fists. Close them up. This is the way many people choose to live. Many Christians choose to live this way. Instead of living generously with an open hand, many Christians choose to live stingy or selfishly with a closed hand. They think of, oh, I've got to hold on to what I've got. It's mine. I need it, so I'm going to keep it. But here's the tragedy of living selfishly with a closed hand. When you live selfishly with a closed hand, unfortunately, you not only don't have the opportunity to give. And by the way, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, which means not giving is actually a curse. It's not a blessing to me not to give. Do you follow? When we live selfishly with a closed hand, we lose the opportunity to give, but here's what else we lose the opportunity to, we lose the opportunity to receive. Do you see me? So you tell me what makes more sense in the kingdom of God, to live generously with an open hand or selfishly with a closed hand. The people of God, you put your hands down. The people of God recognized that to close their fist at the Lord was to, was to essentially not just be selfish and stingy with what they had, but they also understand to close their fist to the Lord was to negate or prevent him from giving them more and blessing them with more. And they did not want to miss that blessing. A mentor of mine likes to say it this way. You don't have to be rich to be generous. You have to be generous to be generous. Some of you want to write that one down. You don't have to be rich to be generous. You have to be generous to be generous. And we have to understand that everything that we have belongs to God. We don't own any of it. Therefore, what we are supposed to do with what we have is not own it or possess it. Our responsibility for what we have, considering God is the one that provided it and it all belongs to God anyway, our responsibility with what we have is to manage it according to God's economy because it all belongs to God. We are not owners of what we have. We are stewards of what we have. Steward means manager. 
It means it all belongs to him and we are God's money manager. Some of you have money managers. You, you meet with a, a person and you ask them, okay, invest this for me, manage this for me. This is my money, but I'm entrusting it to you to manage. Imagine how offensive it would be if that money manager took what you entrusted to him or her to manage and they decided to take it all and blow it on themselves. How offended would you be? You would, you would file a lawsuit probably, take that person to court and say, I gave them my money to manage, not to take or possess or to spend or to blow on themselves. And there will be an accounting someday before the Lord. See, God uses the generosity of King David, the generosity of the national leaders and the generosity of his common people, the citizens to raise the resources to construct his temple. I don't know if you've studied this, but you should sometime take a look at, 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 at the incredible nature of Solomon's temple. It was a wonder of the ancient world. There was nothing like it. You read in the Old Testament, the Queen of Sheba from Africa came all the way, made a journey. Why? Not to see Solomon's palace, not to see Solomon's portico, not to see Solomon's uh, personal wealth. She made the trek just to see this unbelievable temple that had been built by Solomon. It was a wonder of the ancient world. And God used a whole bunch of vagabonds and sojourners and pilgrims to build it. How did a bunch of people that up until this point didn't even have a homeland construct one of the greatest structures in the history of the ancient world. It was incredible. It was only possible. Why? Because the people had a heart to give evidenced by their leaders going first and the people joining in sacrificial giving. And here's the key, all of the glory and all of the worship, it went to God. Can I ask you a question, Christ Uncensored House of Worship? Can I ask you to ponder a question tonight? Ask yourself the question, why is generous giving so very hard? Why is it hard? Why is it one of the most difficult things that we do? I mean, most statistics tell us that only a small percentage of Christians tithe. Small, microscopic percentage tithe. Most Christians tip the Lord. They tip the Lord kind of like we tip a waitress. If the service is good, here's a little extra. Thank you, my brother. The service is good, here's a little extra. Not so much, here's a little less. Most of us approach the Lord and we tip him. Just something we can afford to throw away. We don't feel it, we don't sense it, we don't miss it, we just give it. So few believers practice sacrificial giving in the form of a tithe. Why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult? Why is it that when I preach on money, it seems to, to bring tension to the room, to my church? And I pastor a very generous church. I'm not trying to criticize them, but every church I've ever pastored and nearly every pastor I've ever talked to is when the subject of money comes up, it's like the people get, it gets tense. Why is sacrificial generous giving so incredibly hard? Let me give you two reasons. It's hard because we believe that money will protect us from bad things. We really do believe it's a security blanket. Now, now the scripture is clear in many cases. It is wise to store up resources for a rainy day. A reasonable, measurable savings is perfectly godly. Don't hear me saying that it's not. I'm not criticizing you for saving for retirement. I'm not criticizing, I have a savings account. I save for retirement. There's nothing wrong with a reasonable, measured approach to saving money for what may be in the future. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that have a tendency to want to hoard it because they believe money is what is gonna protect them from bad things. Another reason it's difficult to generously give is because we believe that spending money will make us feel good about ourselves and we like the feeling. So in one sense, our money is protecting us from bad things. In another sense, our money, buying stuff and experiences and things that we like will, will make us feel good. And so because this thing called money protects us from the bad and gives us what is good, then sacrificial giving feels like losing security and it feels like losing happiness or pleasure. And for what? For what? The way that the American mind tends to think about money and the Western mind tends to think about money is that what we give, we have lost. It's gone. We've sacrificed security, we've sacrificed pleasure, and for what? For what? 
for the good feeling that we gave or the tangible results. Look at what they did with my money, the people they served, the building they built, the, the, the ministry we did. And we feel good about it, but ultimately we kind of have the mindset that we have lost. So we are content to give very little, nothing or next to nothing because we don't want to lose what we have. And if there is one lie that American Christians have bought more than any other lie, it might be what I just said. That what you give, you've lost forever. Jesus takes a whole different approach to this. He does an entirely 360 on this whole concept. Listen to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six. It's on the screens. Jesus actually tells his followers, hey, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Well, because moth and rust will destroy them and thieves will break in and steal them. Look here, church. We'll, we'll finish that pass in just a moment. Jesus basically tells his followers that if you all, it go all in in this life, you're a fool. Because either one of two things will happen. Either what you've invested will be taken from you or you will be taken from what you've invested. Either you will die and leave it behind or a thief or moth or rust or something will come in and corrupt it. If you go all in in this life, it is a financially catastrophic decision for you. So don't go all in here. Don't go all in here. He says instead though, lay up for yourselves treasures where? Where? in heaven. Why? Why? Because God wants all your money? No. Because God needs your money? What a joke. God doesn't need your money. He's got a cattle on a thousand hills. If God wanted your money bad enough, he would kill you and just take all of it. God does not need your money. He doesn't. He is absolutely self-sufficient. The earth is the Lord's, the psalmist says in verse 24, verse one, and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him anyway. So why does God tell us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? Because it's good for him? Actually, no, it's because it's good for you. Why? Because moths can't get to it. Rust can't destroy it. And by the way, thieves can't break in and steal it. So what you invest yourself, you say, well, how do we do this, pastor? How do we lay up treasures in heaven? The Bible's crystal clear. You lay up treasures in heaven as you invest it in the kingdom of God, primarily, not solely, but primarily through your local church. You advance the kingdom of God through generous giving, primarily through your local church. You say, pastor, I just don't know. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if my heart's in it. That's a, that's a valid concern. But then Jesus offers this promise in verse 21. For where your treasure is, say it with me, there your heart will be also. Do you see this? Do you see this? Jesus says that your heart will follow your treasure into what is most important. If you're sitting there going, I don't know that I have a heart for the mission. I don't know that I'll have a heart for the Lord. I don't know that I have a heart for the church. I want to, but I don't. I look around, everybody else is singing, everybody else is celebrating, everybody else is into it, but I'm not. I just don't know if I have a heart for this. God gives you a perfect remedy for that situation. He tells you, invest generously, sacrificially into my kingdom. Guess what you'll have a heart for? My kingdom. Let me, let me give you another example. Let's, let's imagine that you decided tomorrow to take a large amount of money and invest it into Coca-Cola. You're just gonna buy some stock. Let me guess, after you do that, what you are now obsessed with paying attention to every single morning in the Wall Street Journal. You're paying attention to Coca-Cola, aren't you? You're looking at what the board says, what the chairman says, if they waste some money or if they get a scandal, you are deeply invested into whether Coke is doing good or Coke is doing bad. You're deeply invested, why? Because your heart has followed your money into the stock known as Coca-Cola. Now it matters, when Coke is up, so are you. When Coke is down, so are you. Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. Now, make sure y'all understand which Coke we're talking about. You're buying investments because your heart follows your money into what's most important. See, when you give, you don't lose it. You invest it. You invest it into a more stable and more secure place, which is in heaven. So if you believe Jesus, and by the way, that's the big if. If you believe Jesus, let me say it one more time. If you believe Jesus, when you give, you are literally exchanging a less valuable possession for a possession of far greater value that will be waiting for you in heaven if you believe Jesus. So the question we gotta wrestle with on Heart to Give Sunday, whether or not we're a people with a heart to give, 
is do we believe Jesus? That everything we have belongs to him and therefore he should set the terms on what it is that we're supposed to do. Do we believe? There was a little girl, her dad wanted to give her something lavishly generous, but he wasn't sure if she was ready for it yet. I have three children. I have a 15-year-old, a 12-year-old, and an eight-year-old and different levels of ages and maturity levels. And so I know the feeling. Are they ready for this? Are they ready for entrusting them with something valuable? There was a, a man who wanted to give to his little girl a necklace, a diamond necklace, but he wasn't sure if she was ready to handle that yet. Could she be responsible with a diamond necklace? And so he had a plan. He didn't tell her about the plan, but his plan was this. I'm going to give her a CZ, a, a cubic zirconium diamond necklace, a fake diamond necklace. And she'll know that it's fake. She'll know that it's, it's sort of uh, you know, costume jewelry, but he gave it to her. She loved it. It was beautiful. She was enthralled by it. She thought it was the most lovely thing. And so he watched her for the next several weeks and months and wanted to see, did she take care of it? Did it was it valuable to her? Did she know? And every night she would hang it up on her jewelry box and every morning she'd put it on and she'd wear it carefully and she was very cautious with it. She never took it off at school or on the bus or gave it to other kids to play with. She was very careful and very loving toward this necklace, toward this, this diamond necklace. And so in through watching, the father decided, you know, she can be trusted with the real thing. So he went to her one day and said, honey, I want to do something for you, but you got to trust me. He said, do you trust me? The little girl said, yeah, daddy, I trust you. He said, okay, I want you to give me your necklace back and you're never going to see it again. She kind of grabbed it. It's like, I don't know, daddy. I like this necklace. I'm enjoying it. My friends all love it. It's very pretty. Do you see it? It's very pretty. I've taken very good care of it. Have you noticed? And he's like, I have. I've noticed you've taken very good care of it. But I'm going to ask you to trust me enough to let me have that necklace. You're never going to see it again and trust in my goodness and my love for you to take care of you. So reluctantly and slowly, she took off that fake diamond necklace and gave it to her father, who stuck it in his pocket, and then gave her the box of the diamond necklace. She opened and he said, that one is not fake, that one's real. And she put it on and loved every minute of it. It's an image of what God wants to offer us in heaven I'm not promising to you that if you give $1,000 tonight that next week 10000 is going to drop in your lap. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes God chooses to do that. I can't explain it, but sometimes he does. But here's the important thing. That's not why we give. We don't give because somehow it obligates God to give us more back today. We give because we know it advances his kingdom. It's true to his heart. And because sacrificial generosity is just who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And we know that what we invest in this life will be available to us in the next. Your heavenly father is inviting you to trust him tonight. He's inviting you to say, I trust in your goodness. I trust in your love. I trust in your power. So I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do tonight, God. Whatever number you place on my heart, I'm going to give. Whatever sacrifice you call me to make, I'm going to make. Whatever it is you call from me tonight, God, I'm going to give it and I'm going to trust you for my security and I'm going to trust you for my, for my fulfillment and I'm going to trust you that whatever I invest in your kingdom to advance your kingdom through my local church is going to make a difference for your glory and that I have not lost it. I have just invested it in eternity and I look forward to seeing it again someday when I see you someday. So let me call us to prayer. Let me call us to prayer. Would you find a place to bow? Find a, a spot to get along with God. And when you seek the Lord, some of you came in tonight and you came with a figure on your mind, but through the course of this service, God has changed it. He's changed it. He's called you to do something different. I want to encourage you to have the, the courage to obey. Some came in tonight, weren't planning to do anything. It's something my church does, but I'm not a part of it. But hopefully the spirit of God, as we have seen from the Old Testament, as we've seen through David's fundraising for the temple, as we've seen the amazing ways that God came through for the Israelites in those days, you now need and know and you want to be a part of what he's doing in these days. So seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord.
Heavenly Father, we know that everything we have belongs to you. You have been so good to us. You provided for every single one of our needs. Sometimes we had no idea how you were gonna meet the need, but God, you have come through. And God, we're at a, a Kairos moment, an opportune situation. We, we are at a crossroads here, Lord God, where we can choose to depend on ourselves and our reasoning and our thinking and our calculating and our figuring, or we can lift our hands and surrender and say, dear father, I wanna be obedient to you. I wanna invest as you'd have me to. So Lord, my prayer for your people here at this church fellowship tonight is for trust, faith, and belief in you. And that whatever you lead them to do, they would be obedient and they would experience your blessing on it. I know the heart of the leadership of this church is to join us in generosity. As they give first, Lord, I pray the people would respond and I pray you would get the glory. These things we pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Before I turn it back over to Pastor Rolando and he leads us into the next stages and steps of our journey, I want you to know that your friends, brothers and sisters at Salem Church up the road on Clove Road have decided to make an investment into this special day. So I bring from the elders of our church a check for $1,500 to Christ Uncensored House of Worship. And it comes with our prayers and grace. My wife and I have well as enclosed a check known only to God as far as the amount. And it's our privilege as a, as a family to make an investment into this fellowship as well. We love you and we believe in you. Can we praise God for Pastor John? I want to do something prophetically here in this house as we get ready to give. I'm going to ask our leaders, I'm going to ask everyone to just stand up on your feet as you hear me speak and we get ready to uh, bring our offering unto God. Anybody excited to bring their offering? I'm going to lay it right here in the middle. And um, I'm going to first ask, uh, before we even ask our leaders, I want to put these four questions here for us to consider as we, I believe you're here for a reason. God designated for you to be here today. And I genuinely believe that he wants from his church 100% participation. Just because you can't do a lot does not mean you can't do anything. This is what we're asking. Is, it, is God leading me to give this amount? Does this amount stretch my faith? May I have to change my spending this month to make it happen? Does this feel like my very best offering? Amen? There's four ways that you can give in this house. We can put that up on the screen. And there's an envelope here that says heart to give offering. And what I'm going to ask you to do is if you, you can put your amount there. There's so, so many of us that are already excited to give. You've already placed your amount and I'm so grateful for you. But those of you that are still thinking about it, I want you to put your amount right there. Your name, your phone number, your email. And we're going to bring this up to the Lord. Now, if you're giving through online, through your phone, we're also going to ask you to come up in a moment. But as a prophetic act here, I'm going to ask first and foremost our leaders to come forward and give their offering in the basket. Come on. Come on. Now I'm just going to ask you to remain. Leaders, remain here in the front for a moment. We thank you, Jesus. 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 
If you need a pen, just raise your hand. We'll have one of our host teams to bring you a pen. Father, we thank you that the leaders have gone first today. And in a moment, we're going to ask the rest of the congregation to join in in sacrificial giving. And the last thing we're going to do is that we're going to give God all the glory and all the honor and all the worship. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. At the count of three, we're going to say this creed together. Hold up your generosity envelope, your heart to give envelope. Open up. If, you're, if you have your phone, come on. This is a faith offering. Come on. Come on. Lift it up. Lift it up. Lift it up. Lift it up. We're going to say this like we believe it. Are you ready? Nah, come on. I need, I need some thunder in this room. Come on. I was raised Spanish and Pentecostal. There's a lot of fuego here. We're going to say this together. Ready? One, two, three. Today, I give generously, acknowledging that God has first given me all I have. I give because I trust in the Lord. I give because it is better to give than receive. I give because I believe in the vision of this church family. As I give, I believe God is opening up the windows of heaven over my life and pouring out an overflowing blessing. I believe that as I give, it is being given back to me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I believe I am blessed to be a blessing. Amen. Would you come forward with your giving right now? And if you're giving through your cell phone, I just want you to come forward and tap the basket. Come on. Come forward. Come forward. Hey, if you're watching online, I want to invite you to go to kuhau.com slash give and be part of this historic offering that we're raising in our church. I want to thank you for your generosity and for sowing a seed into this house. Come on, come on. And I, hey, hey, hold on, hold on. Come forward and stay here in the front. Come on. We're going to give God the glory in this house. Come on. Come forward, stay up here, stay up here, stay up here. There we go, there we go, there we go, there we go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, would you begin to open up your mouth and now worship him and give him the praise in this house? Come on.